And uh, kind of finishing up a three-week study, and, I, you know, it's, it's interesting as I've studied this, like really this is, you know, where we'll end today is really kind of the, the beginning to the rest of what Peter has to talk about. So uh, maybe it'll, it'll, you know, whet your appetite to, to read the rest and, and kind of go through that. Um, and so last week, you know, I skipped to chapter 2. Chapter 1 is foundational for Peter as he's talking to a group of Christians in a particular area that um, are, are coming under heat of, uh, of possible persecution. You get the, the idea that they're having some struggles, especially with leadership and, and really the world around them. And so um, he, he grounds you know, his truths as Paul and Peter and the other apostles typically do. Uh, they ground their truths in, in who Christ is, um, what your nature of your, your relationship with Christ is, what your faith is based upon, the security of your salvation, all of those things. Um, you know, Peter emphasizes specifically like who Christ is and the fact that your salvation is secure to kind of lay a foundation that no matter what you go through, you know, keep, that, keep that in mind. And so as we go through chapter 2, he, he then talks about this dichotomy. Of, uh, you know, really, there's, there's, when we look at the world... There's all these competing agendas, competing things that are being said, but really you either follow Jesus and you lay your life and lay your, your faith on Jesus Christ, He's your cornerstone, or Jesus is a stumbling block. So no matter, you know, people might have different gods or different philosophies or different things, but it really comes into what your view of Christ is. And last week, you know, Peter talked about um, who you are in Christ, like the things that God has made you, uh, and he says... Um, that in verse 9, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possession. And that because of those things, of who you are, you know, you also have a mandate to be a light uh, to the rest of the world. That you have a mandate to, you know, talk about who God is in this, and, and proclaim His excellencies. And it also is an imperative about how you should live. Because of what Christ has done for you, you should act a certain way. Again, nothing you know, about how you act secures your salvation. Nothing about what you do um, you know, actually gets you salvation. Uh, but what you do is an outflow of who you are and grounded in some of those things. And so he gets to kind of one of the first things as an intro to um, really, you know, a lot of what he's going to talk about after that, and it's kind of how you relate to others and your relationship to others. And the main thing that we're going to see in this one is uh, your submission to authority. Uh, as I was thinking about this, for some reason, the, there's a, a song that came to mind. Uh, being a child in the 80s, uh, there was a band called Tears for Fears, and they had a song called Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Is anybody familiar with that song? Um, I looked up the lyrics and I was like, I don't really know. I didn't remember all the lyrics to Everybody Wants to Rule the World. But really just that kind of, you know, that phrase, everybody wants to rule the world. And maybe you're getting the tune in your head right now. Okay, so, um, <laughs> I'll let you think. So, uh, as I, I don't know, for some reason that kind of song like popped up in my head that everybody wants to rule the world. And I don't know, as a kid, I was like, I don't know, I mean, did it? Do I really want to rule the world? I mean, I'm just a kid. But as I started thinking about it, I don't know recently why that song came into my head. There's some truth to that. Everybody wants to rule the world. What, in, in what way? I know it's early, so it's time change affecting you. I, I understand if the, the feedback is, is less. What way is that true? 
that everybody wants to rule the world. Okay. 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 Uh, yeah, we we all have our world, right, that we live in, and we want to rule it. And how, if if the sphere of your world is more grandiose, like you want to have conquer other nations, you know, that's maybe sometimes what we think about. But we all live in in our particular world. Now, if we all want to rule our worlds, like what what problems does that cause? Worlds collide, right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and so, so that ends up becoming the issue is that we want what we want and everybody else wants what they want. And so how those things then intersect, if we lived our own world, you know, if we were, you know, we were just hermits in our own little world or something and, and had no people around us. But as soon as we start to engage with others, that's where, that's where the problems uh, come in. And so in the Bible, we see this often. Like Paul, you know, in several letters had to address this. Peter addresses this. John addresses this. Is that there is a, a tension between, in the Bible between those who, who have power and those who, well, we all have some exercise of power, right? We have, you know, power over ourselves to some degree and what we do and how we respond. But those who, who have uh, power over others, uh, there is always a tension between ruling and submission. And that's what Peter is going to get to today, and he's going to kind of start through the hierarchy and, and, and walk through. And Paul has done this in relationships, especially in Ephesians. Um, we're kind of talking through that. And so uh, when we see in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 13, Peter says, "...be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution." whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, it seems odd, right, you know, as, as Christians, for Peter to say, um, to make this admonition, right? You know, why does he have to say, I want you to be subject to every human institution, Okay. God has created order of authority. Okay, so God is is over every institution. All right. So, um, so that that's true, and uh, so um, knowing that to be true, why do you think Peter has to remind them? He gives this this command: "I want you to do this." And again, you are chosen. You know, you are a, a chosen nation. Uh, you know, chosen race, a holy nation. Uh, a royal priesthood, all these things. And so I want you to be subject to every human institution. What is, the, what is our natural reaction, right? So, I mean, if, if we think, you know, Christians, because of, in all the places, because of who Christ is and Jesus talking about your fruit demonstrates, you know, what you believe, um, why is it that uh, they're not acting according to maybe how they should act? Okay. 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 We can we can justify it if the authority is ungodly. Yeah, we'll 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 get to uh, talk about that uh, a little more in a second. Um, but yeah, 
especially if, you know, and again, <clears throat> I might go in a little bit more detail in a second. Um, you know, these uh, Christians are coming under some sort of, again, persecution, some sort of either prejudice or bias or flat-out rejection, um, depending on, you know, what form it takes. Peter kind of addresses all of those things in the rest of the letter. Uh, our natural, when we are abused, what's our natural reaction? I mean, I guess there's several natural reactions, but one is we can rebel. We can rebel either openly, right, or we can rebel, you know, internally, right? Well, I'll do what you say, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'm not going to like it, but I'll do it. Um, Peter, you know, really wants when we see when we get to the end, like really wants to see that that you'll you should want to do it, and you should also have this understanding that yeah, uh, this is this is according to what God what God desires. And so, um, right, sometimes there's a natural, especially um, you know, as Jeff said, like that there is a natural when there's an injustice, there's a natural reaction for justice. Um, you know, whenever we you know, we get these reports about our kids, you know, it's from school and things that they've done. And sometimes when you get a report, you know, usually like the child wants to justify. I speak as like, though I don't ever justify, you know, when something is said about me, you know. Um, but we justify ourselves, right? Yes, I did wrong, but there was a good reason, you know, there was, or they, you know, their tone was kind of angry, and so I just kind of responded defensively, and, you know, I know I was wrong the way I just spent it, but they kind of, you know, provoked me, and so, we, you know, so that kind of, kind of ends up being our natural inclination, our natural desire to be right, or to uh, make, you know, our crime seem less, and so, so Peter just says, be subject for the Lord's sake um, to every human institution. Now sometimes Christians are seen, and in this case, um, you know, we talked about the fact that uh, they, are, they were blamed for, um, uh, well, historically they were blamed, and whether this is specifically what Peter is addressing the fallout from is uh, the burning of Rome, that Nero burn, uh, blamed the Christians, that they were an easy scapegoat. Uh, for something that had happened, and many believe that Nero was responsible for that fire. Um, and so sometimes Christians can be seen as insurrectionists, as those who are already at fault. Um, you know, Peter said, you know, you are sojourners here in this world. Um, his idea that he was, that you are really sojourners in the world, no matter where you are. But in some sense, some had fled to different areas, and they were, they were, were truly sojourners and exiles, and so people already had kind of a thought about them. Um, when Peter and uh, John were preaching early on in Acts, they were arrested because people were coming to Christ and it made some of the authorities upset. And so the authorities like pulled them in and then were saying, you're trying to create, you know, you're trying to instigate, you know, some sort of movement against God. And um, they actually kind of brought up other people who had brought up these rebellions and failed and this uh, gentleman, Gamaliel, had said, who was part of the, uh, the, the council, said, listen, you know, if, if it's of God, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to be able to stop them. But if it is of God, you know, we won't, we won't, so if it's of God, we won't be able to stop them. But chances are it's not, and it'll die out. And so that's kind of why they let them go. Um, little did they know that Gamaliel was actually, you know, supporting and proving that this was, was of God. Um, what they were doing, but they were seen as, you know, 
as those who were causing trouble. And if you read through Acts, you see that Paul went to a lot of places and as he preached the gospel, some people were becoming, becoming saved and so they stopped either the industries that they were doing, you know, business and evil practices, and people were getting mad about that. And so sometimes Christians are seen as like the bad guy. I mean, do you ever see that in culture today? That, you know, Christians are responsible or Christians are, you know, at fault. Maybe not for starting fires, but, you know, maybe, uh, maybe because of what we believe, it causes other people to feel bad and, you know, feeling of intolerance or bigotry or, you know, whatever those, those uh, words can be. And so, so in that understanding, you know, Peter is addressing this. All right, but we, we have an order and a hierarchy um, often Christians were in a, uh, are in a, a, power, a position of weakness, and they certainly were. Even though they were being blamed for this, they were certainly the minority, and they weren't in you know, uh, high places to be able to, to do anything um, you know, politically on their own. And so he says, be subject, which is, is a word that means to be put yourself under. Put yourself under the authority of every human institu- institution, and then he gets specific, about what those are. And uh, often when we see this word to be subject, we see that it's in relationship to Jesus and all of creation or all of human authority. That all human authority is subject or will be subject under Christ. Um, It is sometimes used to describe Christians to be subject to one another to submit to one another, and that's typically within the church. But half a dozen times, uh, the apostles use this term to be subject to some sort of authority, whether it is the government, or whether it is a master, or some other institution. And so Peter, uh, you know, so this, this, this term has to be used repeatedly through Scripture because it is going against something naturally that is within us. It's a part of our sin nature to kind of push back, to rebel, to justify ourselves, whatever it is. And so Peter, uh, like some of the other apostles, is doing just that. And you'll see if you continue to read First Peter that he addresses a lot of these things because this is a part of the world, especially if you're going through a trial. That's what, what Peter's talking about. And he says, for the Lord's sake. Um, now, be subject to human institution uh, for the Lord's sake. Now, why do you, th- I, I don't know, I kind of, that struck me as odd. Does anybody, does that strike you as odd? Like, I want you, for my sake, to be, to be subject to every human institution. And I guess when I thought about why it was maybe odd to me was, well, who is, who are Christians ultimately subject to? What's that? Yeah, so to Christ. And so instead of, you know, instead of Peter saying, like, uh, be subject to Christ and obey every human institution, he kind of says, like, listen, for, my, for, for the Lord's sake, I want you to be, um, I want you to, uh, put yourself under every human institution. It kind of goes back to you know what Peter just said that you are God's treasured possession, and that you are owned by God. And God is saying, while you're in this world, that yes, you are subject to me, but you are not only subject to me. You are also because there's always there's, there ends up being this contrast, right? You're either of the world or you are of Christ. 
But he's saying these worldly institutions, these worldly governing agencies, like, I want you to place yourself under them. Um, and so there, that kind of creates a, a tension, right? Because we want to say, like, no, there's, uh, there's good and all the things that Christ does, and there's evil, all the things that, you know, mankind does. And so that actually, like, there ends up becoming this kind of, like, circle that umbrellas both of those things. And so we'll see why you know, Peter actually kind of draws out a little bit that, there isn't just this like good and evil, right? That, that even those evil institutions actually do some good and line up according to what God's overall plan is in his sovereignty, right? Because God uses not only the good to accomplish his will, but he also uses evil. You know, the biggest example is the, um, the, uh, the killing of Christ, right? Using those institutions. And so, um, God, uh, you know, government ends up having a place in God's sovereignty. And so what is, what is that place? What is government's place in the world? It's an instrument of God's common grace. Okay. Because if you don't have government, you don't have order, and you don't have order, you, you, you have societal breakdown, and that's, that foments evil. Okay, great. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, it is his grace, and I'm glad you like explained. You know, the main reason is that there is order, and why is that? Because typically, if everyone wants to rule their own world, <laughs> people come into collision with one another, and there would just be chaos in some some uh, form or fashion. And so, this is God's way to kind of bridle our inner desires and to create some sort of harmo- harmony, not utopia but some sort of order and harmony within the disorder that typically arises amongst just people living together, right? And that is common grace that even, you know, any, any world order, any government, any, any empire, any even small village will usually have some sort of order to it, a hierarchy in um, some way. And so he, he starts at the top, he identifies a leader, and he says the emperor, whether it is the emperor as supreme, meaning as the, the top of everything, and they are in an empire. Um, and so in their sense, in their view, like this is the most powerful, and you know, even for us, looking back, this was the most powerful um, empire of its day, uh, government institution of its day. And so he recognizes that the emperor as supreme leader. And then he identifies these governors, those that are kind of substructure, right? There's a leader and there's typically in most governments those that carry out um, what, the, the, what the emperor desires to do. And so he identifies their purpose. What is their, their purpose and how does he do those things? Paul will do the same thing. So in a few weeks, uh, whenever we get to Romans 13, you know, we'll, we'll, you'll hear probably similar things that are said that, that Peter and Paul kind of overlap in, um, but he kind of identifies two, uh, two things with their purpose. One, he says, to punish uh, those who do evil, right? Um, are, does the, the government commit evil? Yes, it certainly can, but largely, wholesale, like a government will, um, will punish those who do evil, and it ends up becoming, you know, when you, when you talk about God's common grace or the fact that even, like, why... Um, why those who are unbelievers still, like there's overlap in, you know, again, it's not just everybody does evil and everybody does good. Um, 
that those who do evil also still know how to do good because God has placed within them what? A conscience, right? And everybody's made in God's image. And so there are fingerprints of what God desires. And as in Romans 1, as Paul would say, that everyone has a knowledge of God. They just suppress that truth. And so they know what good is for the most part, which is why, like, you could say every society, I mean, I'm sure there's a, a couple, uh, every society, um, or we'll say this backwards, no society condones murder as something just acceptable. There might be times where murder was more widespread, uh, certain cultures where it is not punished as severely, but there's usually no institution that says, like, sure, just go ahead and kill somebody for any reason you want, and it's okay. Um, people do get away with murder, but uh, largely that's not the case. Same with stealing, same with lying, right? There are certain sins, uh, certain things that, that we would acknowledge as sin that the world would acknowledge as things that aren't right, um, which is why, like, then you start talking about what are socially acceptable sins. We won't get into that, but I had a conversation with my um, uh, with my high school kids uh, about uh, there's a movie that's coming out that's kind of you know I don't want to get into it, but but uh, it's, there's a cultural issue that's identifying like homosexuality, and so we started to talk about the fact like why is you know for some kids it's like well, why is that a big deal, right? You know, it's just, it exists, right? And, and they would bring up the counter, like, well, there's some movies that talk about stealing and talking about murder and talking about, you know, all these things. And you say, like, well, yes, while there are those things, largely it's not condoned by a culture. And so there are some distinctions about how we, um, how we identify certain, uh, certain sins over others. All right, that's a, that's a you know, rabbit trail slightly. Um, but every, every, every uh, culture will identify certain sins, and so these, these governments will punish those who murder. They will punish those who steal. They will punish those who um, cheat or lie or you know, whatever, whatever else you know, uh, they have deemed as, uh, as wrong in their society. And again, the punishments might be less severe or the punishments might be more severe depending on an institution, and so, uh, so that's the first thing they says is that they punish evil, and so it's good, right? Governments are good in order to do that to punish evil. Police forces are good to keep order and to make sure people are obeying the laws. And he actually says something else. He says, and to praise those who do good, to praise those who do good. That's usually something like we don't think about the government, right? You know, uh, that praises those who do well. Um, I don't know, you know, back in that time, there, there's not really much said as far as, like, the government praising. I don't think there was a praise, you know, group, like, hey, just want to let you know you're doing a good job. Um, imagine that. Imagine if somebody, like, knocked on your door and be like, hey, we're from the government. We just want to let you know. You, didn't, you haven't murdered recently. You haven't stolen anything, for, at least we know. And so keep it up, right? Just carry on your business, you know, and keep on going. Um, hmm, maybe that's a... Anyway, so um, we need a little more encouragement, right? But he does say we praise those who do good, right? And it is usually acknowledging those who do well, and it could be those who lead them into victory. Uh, but the fact that those who, are, um, those who do good are not punished is typically a way that is praising those who do good. And so that's, that's kind of the form of government, right? And we know that uh, Jesus obeyed the government, Jesus paid, paid taxes, and even when he was trying to be pinned down about his view of taxes, he said, you know, you know give me a coin and 
tell me whose inscription it is is on that. And he says, you know, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? He didn't say, don't pay your taxes because the government is evil. Um, he said, you know, there is, there is a use and a, a purpose. There were soldiers who came to John the Baptist and they said, they asked him what we should do. And he, he didn't say, you know, stop being a soldier, right? And so uh, there are certain things that, um, you know, certain, certain uh, government positions and practices uh, should be continued. And so Jesus never had an issue with that, although he, can, he did condemn some of the practices. He didn't really, he, the main institution that he condemned was those that were in the religious institution, right? The Pharisees. Um, because he knew that the government was just doing what the government would do on, on a human basis. Uh, but when you, when you bring in what God desires and they misinterpret what God desires, that's when he like pushed back and said, no, 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 you are, have you not read? Have you not heard? Um, and so even, you know, even when he was uh, in front of Pilate, right, you know, he said, um, you know, he said kind of basically didn't, didn't disclaim any of the, the false charges that were against him, knowing that Pilate will do what he wants to do. We also typically have a mistrust of, of governments. Um, and that's, that comes, you know, that, that generally, uh, you know, you see that that's kind of a widespread seems, seems to be, be true. And why is that? Why do we have a gen- general mistrust of those who are in uh, positions of power? Okay, so people typically abuse those positions. Past corruption sometimes inform like your future thinking. Uh, that becomes like a seedbed of um, conspiracy theories. You know, everyone remember what the tagline of there was some book that was everyone loves a good conspiracy theory um but you know that that um that book the da vinci code as you're reading through it you're like do people actually believe this but you know millions of people bought into it because you're like yeah maybe and there was some plausibility possibly there is this big conspiracy um you know thing going on and so uh there is a natural distrust distrust of government agencies and some of it is justified um, I'll read you a little bit, uh, you know, uh, from, this is from uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica on Nero. So you understand a little bit about um, who Nero was and what he did. I'll just read a little bit at the beginning uh, about maybe how he came into power and just some things that happened with him and, and, and talk about that. But again, Nero had blamed some of the Christians, and so it wouldn't be until you know, Peter would have already died by the time that uh, Nero um, had uh, left power. And so um, we see uh, a little bit about who this leader is. Um, Emperor Nero was the last of the Julio-Claudians to rule the Roman Empire, Uh, His 14-year reign represents everything decadent about the period in Roman history. He was self-indulgent, cruel, and violent, as well as cross-dressing exhibitionist. His lavish parties, combined with the burning of Rome, continue the economic chaos that has plagued the Roman citizenry since the days of Tiberius. According to the historian Suetonius in his The Twelve Caesars, upon hearing of the death of Nero, citizens ran through the streets wearing caps of liberty as though they were freed slaves. It goes on to say, um, 
Yeah, he was, uh, you know, Nero, when he was born, he was born, uh, his mother was, her name was Agrippina. Um, she married Emperor Claudius in 49 AD. Some believe Nero's fate was inevitable. His father, um, Domitius, who died when Nero was three, was extremely violent in his own right, described by his contemporaries as a despicable character. He once deliberately ran over a young boy with his chariot as he drove through a local village. When his friends congratulated him upon hearing of the birth of his son, Nero's father said that anything born to Agrippina and him would be unlikable and a disaster. So that's kind of like the family that he grew up into. You know, who was his, who was his mom? Well, his mom, Agrippina, um, ended up marrying um, Emperor Caliglia, Calig- or, sorry, uh, Caliglia, Caligula. Um, his, when Caligula died... Uh, his uncle Claudius came to the throne, and Agrippina uh, set his sights on Claudius when his wife uh, died, and so kind of sought after him and wooed him, and then ended up uh, marrying him. Um, who's, his, his wife was killed by treason. Anyway, there's a whole tangled web when you kind of read through that. Well, he did marry her. Uh, she made him adopt her son Nero as his own so that if something ever happened to him, that um, Nero would be the next in line to be emperor. And guess what? Something happened to him. Uh, he died uh, eating a bowl of mushrooms, which was presumed to be poisoned. Nero had later claimed that mushrooms were the, uh, the fruit of the gods, um, kind of tipping his hat to the fact that he might have had some involvement. So Nero became... Uh, came into power. And so Nero was known as, uh, he, he liked to sing, he liked to play the lyre, although he was not good at either. He would hold these, um, uh, these concerts for people, but nobody could leave. One historian had written that women would give birth during, uh, during this time because they were not allowed to leave, you know, and hours and hours. And that even, you know, it's kind of like, is this hyperbole or not? That some men would, uh, were so bored by the, by it that they would fall off the back wall and, uh, render themselves killed by it. But he, had, he, he was very paranoid. Um, and at some point, uh, when his mom started kind of boasting that she was the one who truly kind of, you know, pulled the strings, that he set his sights on murdering his mom. And there's like several episodes where he tried to uh, have his mom killed, either outright. Um, uh, there was an incident where she was going to be poisoned. Another incident where... Uh, they were going to try to have some contraption where her bed would collapse, but it was too tricky to get into place. There was a time where they uh, sunk the sh- a ship that she was on, uh, but she swam to safely, and then eventually he just had her murdered by being stabbed. Um, he uh, he um, had his first wife killed. He uh, His second wife, when she was pregnant, uh, he... Uh, had an argument with her and violently kicked her, and she lost. She died as well as the baby. Um, and then there's plenty of other things where he had uh, relationships with men that he would have dress up as as women. And so this was well known to the people as, as far as like you know, kind of the the character of who this ruler was. Finally, in the end, he was um, you know he was hunted down. He tried to commit suicide, but couldn't even do that. And had to have one of his guards, you know, put to put him to death. And uh, on his last words were, uh, "What an artist dies in me." And those were his last words. Um, there's plenty of other things that you you could read and, and talk about, but I, I bring that up 
to say, like, like this was the leader of Rome. And this is the supreme emperor that Peter is saying that I want you to be subject to. If there was any leader, if there was any authority that you're like, yeah, 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 I understand, but not that guy, right? That guy is bloodthirsty. That guy came to rule be, uh, not based on true means, but on, you know, on, uh, not by the will of God or the will of the people, but by his own terms. And uh, he even turned on his mom, right? Um, of all things. And so, so even in the midst of that, and as he then blames the Christians for something that they didn't do, and they're feeling the heat of that, Peter says, be subject to them, right? So if we, if we even stop and think, like, if there's ever times that we have issues with those who are in authority over us, like, there are those who had it much worse. And there are those who had it in a time where they could have justified their actions, perhaps, um, you know, more strongly than even ourselves, and so there are authorities that deserve to be mistrusted, right? There, you know, if Nero came and said, "Don't, you know, trust me," like he'd be one that you would say, "No, I don't." And and Peter isn't saying necessarily like just you know trust everything they say, but you are to be subject to the government and the governing authorities. And in what way? We'll see that. So he kind of gives the mandate to obey first, and then he gives the reason to obey. He says, in verse 15, he says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He says that it is God's will, right? This identifies what God wants and expects. And, you know, in in his mind, in God's mind, knows what will come to be. And so, Peter is saying, "Let let your actions shine a light to these people, right? Jesus never really pushed back. Um, he did. Uh, he did slightly, but for the most part, when accusations were made against him, he obeyed those institutions and he didn't fight back. You know, and some of it, his lack of fighting back, people knowing that this man was in- innocent, uh, was to be a condemnation on them. So much so that you know. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, the dots aren't always connected, but you know, when, when Jesus is crucified, right, there was all these people that they knew Jesus was innocent, and they said, crucify him. You know, they're like, what about Barabbas, who everyone knew was guilty? And they're like, no, Jesus, right? You know, at some point after that happened, after Jesus was crucified, there was the thought of many that maybe we did the wrong thing, right? And we've all had those times where we've done something, and we were like, maybe that was the wrong thing to do. And for them... They would have said, maybe that's the wrong, maybe we did the wrong thing, right? And then Jesus uh, dies and there's an earthquake and all these things happen and maybe they're like, you know, maybe that was the wrong thing. And then they put it out of their minds because a couple months later go by and then we have Pentecost when Peter starts preaching and he says, you crucified Jesus. And, you know, and, and you have to know that a lot of the people that were in the crowd were there during that time and would have known what would have happened because their response wasn't like, yeah, well, we just didn't know. Or they were like, well, what should we do? And he says, repent and believe. And then thousands came to Christ. And so Jesus, even, you know, not pushing back, not making a spectacle of it, even died knowing, you know, being innocent. In some way, that condemnation was bared on the the conscience of those people, used later 
to actually bring them to Christ. And so Peter, though, is not, not necessarily talking about in your death, although it could be. Um, but as you live, as you are with these people, right, just pushing back sometimes puts people on the defensive. And Peter's already said, listen, you, you are already God's chosen. So don't worry about what happens to you. You're fine. These people aren't God's chosen. So keep that in the back of your mind. And so he says, it's God's will that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And uh, I kind of, bring, you know, if, if, if you know, when you, when you hear that, I don't know, when I heard that, I, was, I uh, thought of 1 Corinthians. When there was a disagreement within the church, and, uh, and, and Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right? It, it is foolishness to those who don't know God. And he said at some point that you living according to what God desires, at some point that light might come on. And he says at one point you were foolish, but now you know the light. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees when the Pharisees were saying things about him, that he is a, he is a drunkard and friend with tax collectors. You know, um, and he says... Uh, the son of, you know, the, this is what he said. He says, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. So Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and what they're saying. He says, the son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And what was Jesus' response? He says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. He said, they may make accusations against me, but in the end, wisdom will be justified by Truly, what is done. Later, Peter, in uh, a few verses later, in, in verse uh, 20 in chapter 2, Peter says, For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? Right? You deserve that. Like, if you sin and you get punishment, like, that's what goes hand in hand. But, he says, um, but, if you, uh, what, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And so God knows that what you're going through and that it will maybe be a light to others. And previously, we looked at last week that in the day of visitation, that if people finally come to Christ, they will see that all the things you said and all the things you you did were actually for their good um, and not for their detriment. But it's not easy to obey, um, but it's what God desires. Um, What happened, you guys remember, and this is like, uh, always the the you know typically in in, in um, you know if you look at world history and and when kings come to power and then they're killed and overthrown by others you know it's like well that's just what happens right when you're on top you always have to kind of look behind your shoulder and worry about who's going to be there um, when David was being pursued by Saul right there was that moment where David and his men were hiding in a cave Saul went in there to to use the bathroom and was kind of in a, a vulnerable state. Um, one of his men were like, you can take Saul out now, right? You know, he's coming after you. You can just end, end this you know, pursuit. And, and David, instead of being like, like normally what we would normally think, like, yeah, take him out, right? That would be in the movies. Like, take him out. <laughs> um, that's what we just feel. But David said, who am I to kill God's anointed, right? And so he even felt bad when he cut a piece of his, like, uh, his robe off. Uh, to later give to him and to show him and say, like, hey, listen, I could, have, I could have taken you out, but I didn't. I just want to let you know that I'm not against you. You're against me. And he had a second opportunity. They snuck into his tent, 
And a guy that was with him was like, let me just take Saul out now. And he says, no, we can't. And so um, later, uh, Saul would end up being killed in battle. And so God took care of him nonetheless. But David knew, right, sometimes, you know, sometimes it's not in my power to do something, even though it seems right to me, but that's not what God desires. He did what God desires and submitted to that. And Peter kind of just echoes that same thing. says um, that you are to do the will of God and to submit um, to others, to put them to silence. And so the last thing is, how, how can we have this ability to obey? And so verse 16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So he says, live as people who are free. So were they, were they actually free? Were they free? Okay, so yes, in a theological context, so explain that. I mean, they, they, were, they were set free from sin, and, and, and they have liberty in Christ. Okay. Even though they don't have liberty on this earth. Okay, so, so the answer is yes and no, right? Yes, in the sense that they were free, uh, free in Christ, and other authors would pick that up that idea as well. But no, they weren't free in the sense that uh, they were still under the authority of this human leader, Right? Uh, so there's a, there's a natural order that, again, God places within every institution. There's an order that he places within the Godhead. That we see that the Son submits to the Father and that the Holy Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. And he uses that as you know, an illustration for the church. Uh, there's order in marriage. There's order in family. There's order in government. Right? But we all, he also, Scripture also talks about this natural disorder that there is a desire, right? One of the things of the curse of the fall is that there's a desire for the woman to be to rule over her husband, right? There's a men's desire to rule over their masters. Um, there's also a desire to be free if you are a slave, um, and in every in all of those things in in this human world in this human institution, no, you are subject to somebody else, but. We are free if we are in Christ. And Paul, Paul says that in Galatians 5. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So how do, how do people, you know, so Paul kind of echoes the same thing that Peter says, but how do people use their freedom to cover up evil? If you are free in Christ, how does he, how does he talk about that freedom to cover up evil? Like, what do you think he's getting at? Okay, okay, yeah, they can say that, right, you know, uh, you, you just told me, Peter, that I'm, you know, one of God's chosen, I'm a treasure possession, in chapter 1, you said that my salvation is secure, so it really doesn't matter what I do, right? And he says, like, true, like, that is theologically true, but do not use that as a license to sin. Uh, in other places, the authors would say, if you use that as a license to sin, I want you to go back and even check if that faith was is true in the first place. Um, so while true, don't use that as, as a validation to sin. Paul would say the same thing in Galatians 5. He gives the fle- deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, follow the fruit of the Spirit and you won't do the deeds of the flesh. And so he says, live as you're, you're free to do, but don't use it to cover up evil. Again, being a light, 
living as servants of God, knowing who your true master is, yet under the authority of these human institutions. And so he, he just kind of finishes off. He says, you remember, um, honor everyone. You know, everyone has that same, same idea, and Paul would echo the same thing. Submit to one another out of love. He says, love the brotherhood, Peter does. Fear God, and then honor the emperor. And the honor idea is a high level of respect. And it's not only just like honor in your actions outwardly, but is inwardly as well, knowing that God has placed him in that position. So why does he not say fear the emperor? It says, fear God, but honor the emperor. Why not fear the emperor? Yeah, so, because why? Right? The emperor could crucify you, right? The emperor could, could uh, do some, you know, some things that, you know, we find out that Peter was crucified upside down. Right? The emperor has that power to put you to death without any consequences for himself, but why shouldn't we fear him? Right. True. True. And so, in the end, you know, uh, while you may fear the pain that comes with death or, you know, uh, not want to experience that, it is ultimately, you know, God who reigns over those people, right? The, the, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And so fear God, the one who can destroy your soul. Um, because again, going back to what Peter said, you are secure in Christ and your salvation is secured in heaven. So as we step back, you know, and we kind of think about this, you know, do we see any applications for what we, what we are dealing with as a country? You know, what we are dealing with, especially as we see, you know, the world mistrust. You know, we have this new president, and it's kind of on a shaky start, and there's a lot of people that are protesting, and a lot of people are kind of pushing back, and, and things like that, and, you know, maybe for good reason that people have their opinions about, um, you know, how the, how the supreme leader, I mean, if we think the U.S. is the, the one of the last, sometimes most would say that it's the last superpower, um, and he is the president, so he's the most powerful person in the world, kind of echoing that same idea. You know, how should we, uh, how should we view our government? Now, our government's a little different, that, in, and sometimes maybe we use that, those freedoms, um, where freedom of speech and freedom to exercise your um, disapproval is okay, but sometimes that crosses the line and uh, ends up being something that others will actually use against us. And so we have to kind of remember, you know, that's really what Peter's getting at, is that the outside world is watching, right? You submit to your authority, you honor and obey them, you do the things that you're supposed to do. All in Scripture, you can be maligned because of your stance for Christ, but once you start becoming maligned for your disapproval, or maybe even sometimes your approval of some human institutions, um, that is where uh, that is where we're actually doing a disservice for the sake of the gospel. So anyway, there's a lot of applications that you can kind of stop and think about, especially you know with 
with people protesting, with people's comments, with people's mistrust of the government, even on both sides, you know, is there conspiracies, is, are there things going on? And in the end, we just have to say, well, we trust God, and God has given a mandate to, um, to, to obey, to honor, uh, but also to live faithful to the lives that he's given us. And do not use those freedoms to actually promote or be an encouragement for others to sin. Because our hope is secure, so our goal is that we want to win them over however we can. And it's not necessarily us who wins them over, it's the gospel. But God uses us to share the gospel, and so they kind of go hand in hand um, in that process. So, anyway, things to think about. We're kind of out of time. Um, Let me pray, and then uh, we'll uh, go to our main service.